and welcome to the podcast You're Having Tea with Alice. This week's episode is with Beth O'Brien, who is a PR agent and otherwise brilliant human being. We had a chat about all sorts of things, but we spoke specifically about the difference between self-esteem and self-respect. We spoke about ethical program making. We spoke about medicine, the history of medicine, the history of medicine and uh, diagnosis of autoimmune disorders, as well as the treatment of women. And it was all it's all a really interesting chat if you want to listen that is coming up before before the podcast i'm going to plug some things the trilogy is now available online it's called the alice fraser trilogy if you listen to podcasts which i assume you do it's probably on any of your podcasting platforms or you can get it via the abc radio if you google abc radio the alice fraser trilogy you should be able to find it the Resistance is available on Amazon Prime if you have that. If you do not, it is also available on my website for digital download or you can buy a USB. If you do watch it on Amazon Prime, please uh, leave a nice review. That helps it get up the rankings and helps more people see it. Other than that, uh, hit me up on Twitter. I'll put up my gigs there or retweet the gigs that have mentioned my name, Alice uh, my, my Twitter handle is at alliterative, A-L-I-T-E-R-A-T-I-V-E. I have a Patreon. Thank you, everybody who contributes to the Patreon. You make me able to do what I do, um, and I cannot express how grateful I am. I'm trying to by saying thank you, but it really it is a phenomenal thing. So uh, also everybody who's at the $25 level and has chats with me, thank you for calling me. It's always lovely to talk. And nobody so far has been creepy, although I have been getting some creepy emails. Uh, never mind, I will talk about that some other time. That's fine. Email me in a non-creepy way at alicerfraser at gmail.com. And otherwise, uh, I'll talk to you next week. You're having tea with Alice. Hi, and welcome to the podcast. You're having tea with Alice. Who are you and what are you drinking? I'm Beth, and I'm drinking Long Dragon green tea of some description. Yeah. And I'm drinking a Genmaicha matcha mashup of delightfulness. Where, are these, where do these teas come from? We're sitting in your house. Yes. Um, my friends Alex and Scott run a tea import company. Amazing. Um, and they gave me free tea every time I cats it for them. I would like friends like that. <laughs> yes, curious please. Tea. Curious tea. Uh, that I'll give a plug for that. That yeah. sounds amazing. <laughs> that sounds really good. Uh, what have you been wrestling with, thinking about recently? Um, I saw a tweet earlier today or last night that um, kind of bugged me. It was somebody insulting another woman by saying she thinks a lot of herself, doesn't she? And... Um, I don't know, it really got under my skin, this idea that we don't think that particularly women, I think it's quite a gendered insult as well, um, that we don't think women um, should think a lot of themselves or have be anything other than sort of surprised that somebody thinks they're hot or anything other than humble. Yeah, yeah, I think that's an interesting one. As somebody who... I mean, I'm, I'm a performer, so I veer wildly between self-confidence that uh, in things that other people are not confident in, and then at the same time, a massive lack of self-confidence. I've been promising to do more video content for ages now, and I can't handle the no. editing of my own face. 
which is stupid, right? Because it's not getting any better. Like the it's longer also I put a really it good face. <laughs> <laughs> well, it does the job, right? It, it has, you know, there's no skull visible at any point, and that's other than your teeth, I guess. Other than my teeth, yeah. little little tinge of skull, <laughs> just to show you what you're missing out on. Um, just a hint, not too slutty. Yeah. <laughs> The idea that uh, women with big teeth are slutty is <laughs> just my definition. <laughs> Amazing. Um, it's going to happen sooner or later. I've been thinking about doing material about this as well, about the sort of the nature of, as a woman, being judged on your body, that your body is a choice any more than it is a choice. Mm. So, for example, if your proportions are, you know, you've got big boobs and a small waist, that's just your proportions. Yeah but that people think that that has something to do with your personality and they can make assumptions about that. Yes, it definitely. Is the same, yeah, yeah. It's the same sort of logic as racism. Obviously, it's not, a good, it's not the best analogy, but it's just this thing that someone can look at you and assume things about your personality from the outside. Yes. And it's not a haircut. It's not that you've bulked up massively at the gym. If I see a dude who's, you know, perfectly cut and huge and got that kind of very defined musculature, I'm going to assume as a loose guess that he's either vain or he's an athlete of some kind. Yeah. Or that he has fought off some sort of disease in his past or body image issues. Yeah. He's made a decision to look that way. And then if I have a chat with him, I can change my mind about that. But that body is always going to be a choice. Yes. Like if you're a, a functional person if you're you know lifting things for your job that's a different kind of musculature but if you have that very gym bunny musculature that's a choice yes. yeah 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 or equally tattoos or piercings or hairstyles all of that's a choice and that says something about your personality or what you want to say about yourself but just somebody's body yes I got this a lot as a teenager because that is my that is my natural body shape and I grew up as a real sort of... um, I don't even like using the word tomboy anymore because of the connotations, but for want of a better word... um, What are the connotations of tomboy, do you think? Well, just that... uh, That that girls aren't supposed to have certain attributes. They aren't supposed to want to be, you know, muddy and playing soccer and climbing trees. They're supposed to want to be a different thing and sort of... I could have just called myself an, a, a girl who liked to be outdoors. Ah, um, that, that, that you think the idea, that the word tomboy implies that those traits are masculine. Yes, exactly. We have to have a special word for it because it's so um, antithetical to what's expected. Well, I've seen this recently uh, as a kind of a debate about a friend who has a daughter who is tomboyish in her activities. Yeah. Let's just use the word yeah, for sure. what it is. Uh, I don't think it's become a hate term yet. No. Um, <laughs> But that people are consistently telling her that her child has gender confusion, that her child has gender dysphoria and that her child wants to be a boy. And as somebody who grew up, A, with a twin brother, B, reading, you know, fantasy novels where the leads are predominantly male, uh, the attributes I wanted as a kid were toughness and, you know, dirtiness and (laughs) fightiness and... pragmatism and I never thought of those as inconsistent with anything no yeah 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 they they shouldn't be attributed to little boys or little girls but um, they certainly were when I was a kid yeah Um, but yes I took myself off on a tangent at that point but 
it came as a real shock to me when I hit puberty and hit puberty very young and then suddenly um, assumptions were made about my intellect, about my character, about what I wanted from an interaction uh, that I wasn't expecting at all. And I'm sure that's the case for uh, every young woman everywhere in the world, but um, it was very, very stark and very, very fast. Um, And it was also the same sort of time um, I got very sick with an autoimmune disease uh, when I was about 13. So those two things happened at the same time. So I sort of lost the ability to be, for want of a better word, a tomboy. So I really lent into being aggressively feminine mm-hmm. and um, dressing in a very, very womanly fashion because I thought, well, if I can't run around, I might as well pretend it's because I'm wearing a tight skirt and short sh- and high heels rather than uh, because I can't. <laughs> yeah, that's really, that is really interesting. There's a fantastic documentary about Dolly Parton where mm. she talks about that exact exchange yeah. because she had this really like cartoonishly womanly form yeah. and she wanted to be taken seriously as a businesswoman and she realised very quickly that she had to do it by going through the pain barrier in the other direction, as it were, that she dressed herself up as this cartoon of a woman so that people were not distracted yeah, yeah, by yeah. her womanliness. They were like, all right, she's got that covered. <laughs> and we don't a, need to tell her. <laughs> it's a good tactic as well because there will have been many people who underestimated her because of it, um, and I'm sure she got better deals because of it. Yeah. Well, uh, as, a, as an aggressive move... Uh, yeah, the idea that women should not think highly of themselves, that's that's a weird one for me. I, I don't think anyone should think so highly of themselves. <laughs> uh, but I think there's a difference, and we mentioned this before I turned the microphones on, there's a difference between self-respect and self-esteem. Yes. And nowadays we are focusing so much on self-esteem that the problems with society or with women or with anything is that they... They don't... There's a difference, right, between thinking you're fucking awesome and knowing what you deserve as a human. So you don't have to be... I don't, I don't really care what you think when you look in the mirror. You can think that you're pretty or you can think that you're ugly. Yeah. You can think that you're the hottest shit on earth or you can think that you're a hideous monster. So long as the next step isn't that your self-respect diminishes that you don't think, well, people can treat me badly because yes. I look like this or people can tr- have to treat me better well, because yes. I look like this. There's a, there's a standard of self-respect that I think is completely uh, washed away by a focus on self-esteem. Yes, I, I think that's true. Um, I, I do, what I do find interesting, though, is that we don't teach women to celebrate their achievements uh, I don't mean and, and, and then again you get into a tricky area because intellect is as much of a genetic lottery as uh, the way you look mm-hmm. um, or your athletic ability um, but it, I feel like women are encouraged to I mean I suppose it's sort of the birth of the term humble brag I suppose mm-hmm. to, to say you're not supposed to say I achieved this and I'm proud of this. You're supposed to say, oops, I, I, you know, I'll, uh, somehow this has happened to me and I'm so very grateful to be the recipient of this gift, which is true to a certain extent, but a lot of stuff comes from grafting and dedication. And I, I don't like seeing other women put other women, women put other women down based on this kind of gendered idea that um, 
you're not supposed to celebrate what you've done, what you've achieved and who you are. Yeah, I think the that where I like celebration is with effort. Yeah. And it's very hard to get anything done in the world. It's incredibly difficult to get anything done, no matter how smart you are, no matter how talented you are. It Most jobs are very hard. Even jobs that are like dream jobs. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, most of them are 80% admin. That's been my experience of all the jobs that I've done. Like, yeah. The top two lines are really interesting and then everything else is just constant grind of emails going back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's a, it is a really interesting thing. I, I find there's a, there was a study done on children on how basically how not to fuck up your children. I was reading this because <laughs> my, in my immediate family there is about to be a child born. Um, and... Uh, the idea is that you should praise children uh, for their actions, not for their feelings or inherent talents, and you should reprimand them likewise. So instead of telling a kid, don't be angry, you say, don't throw things. Yes. Don't speak disrespectfully. Don't shout. Those are the, those are the wrong actions. Yes, yes, yes. But telling a child that their feelings are wrong is a different thing. Yes, that's, that's just going to shame them they're not, and they're not going to share how they feel. Yeah, and, it yeah. makes them feel like there's something wrong with them. Inherently with them, yes. Rather than saying, you know, it's not helpful to be angry, it's not kind to shout at people, all of those things. Yes. So, yeah, there, there is, uh, I guess, the, the moral of my show every week is there's not enough nuance in the way that we talk <laughs> yeah. about things. Yes, I mean, I think that is incredibly true in everyday conversation and 10 times more so on in online interactions um i think you've met i'm sure you've mentioned it on the show many times before before and i know we've talked about it a lot um with the the speed with which something can go from i like this thing to you hate every bit everything i stand for and everything i believe in yeah i did a whole podcast series (laughs) called troll play on the abc about about that very thing and i think my favorite one was a an interchange on a, a co-sitting website that within about eight comments was down to them calling each other Nazis. That's that's fast, even for... Yeah. <laughs> and it went from, you know, I am neuroatypical yeah. and I like the corsets because they make me feel like I'm getting a hug and that's a reassuring feeling. Yeah. And then somebody saying, it's neurodivergent, I'm neurodivergent and I prefer that word. And the other person saying, well, I've only ever heard neurotypical, that's how I call myself and that's how my friends in this community of neuroatypical people, we call ourselves that. And the other one says, well, I don't like it, it's a harsh word. I've told you not to use it. If you keep using it, it's basically abuse. And it was just genuinely... These two people who, among the billions of people on Earth, are more like each other than... 99.999% of the population. They are two people who are exactly the same in so much. I mean, they're two neurodivergent slash neurotypical people (laughs) who like corseting. Yeah. That is a minuscule percentage of the... How are they not friends? How are they not at least comrades in... uh, Look, yeah, it's just astonishing to me that vanity of small differences yeah and unwillingness to meet uh, the other person at their intention rather than their words i guess yeah which is i think one of maybe one of the reasons why this movement towards more precision in 
defining people, Mm -hmm. while I'm all for precision in language, it troubles me because broad-spectrum things are easier to gather under. Yes. So if you're more focused on your differences between people, uh, between you and other people, it can... It's a a fallacy, Mm -hmm. right? You can say, I think... And again, I have no um, standing to make this claim, but I think, you know, queer is a nice umbrella. Yes. But if you're focused on the very small differences between you and another person and, and, and outlining yourself very carefully away from other people, that's nice for your own uh, self-esteem, mm-hmm. but it's not necessarily good for your self-respect because you don't see yourself as part of a community. You see yourself as isolated from other people. I think that's a side effect. It can be a side effect. Yeah. And, and a counterproductive one. Yeah, I don't know if I 100% stand by like yeah. that. <laughs> I'm just sort of I'm playing with this idea because yeah, it is yeah, a, yeah. it's a difficult idea, and I don't want to um, uh, negate anybody's sense of, that finding a word for their identity has changed their world and has made them very happy because it is great to mm. go oh I'm that yes That's, there's other people who are the thing that I am that's yes. great but equally I think that there is a negative side effect to that and that is a sense of isolation. I, I saw. Um an, inter- an interesting example, and I, I'll try and recall it exactly, but there's a bit of discussion around the use of the term homebound or bedbound for people with varying disabilities and invisible illnesses. And there is a... Somebody was saying that these are um, archaic terms and they are offensive in the way that saying that somebody is wheelchair bound rather than a wheelchair user is because the wheelchair is the tool they're not bound to it it's the thing which allows them to uh, be out in the world Uh, and therefore you shouldn't use the term bed bound however people who are bed bound and um, I have at times been among them there is no existing tool or mobility aid that would have allowed me not to be yeah, the bed isn't your tool yeah, in it, that instance. It's it just, is actually your prison. Yeah, or not even that. It's just the reality, I suppose. Yeah. Um, you know, taking all of the emotion out of that um, horrendous three months when I was 15, uh, it, you know, it, it wouldn't have helped me be seen or be helped if there was a tool to exist. What would have helped me would have been uh, effective treatment and research into the disease. But that's nothing to do with the terminology and sort of isolating isolating people who broadly need the same things out from each other just sort of lessens your negotiating power say uh, if you are trying to make a more accessible society it's more helpful if people with all sorts of conditions illnesses, disabilities focus on the thing that is in common between yeah. them which is this sense or the reality that they have difficulty getting out of bed or getting out of their house Yes. For whatever reason, it yeah. almost doesn't matter what the reason is. And, and sort of stumbling over the terminology of it too much, whilst it comes from a good place of, uh, of wanting people to feel ownership over their own experience and feel self-respect, it can, can in that case be um, counterproductive. Um, I saw a really fascinating article about um, how so many cities are designed by able-bodied 
white men. Mm-hmm. So there is no provision for mothers with push chairs or people with wheelchairs. But the article was written by an able-bodied person who described the needs of disabled people as the odd wheelchair, whereas in fact 20% of the population here has some form of physical disability. And they all need different things. Somebody with an artificial leg can't use a ramp, whereas somebody with a pusher or a wheelchair would need the opposite. So I think the very long-winded thing I'm trying to say is uh, focusing on the terms and the differences is less helpful than discussing what's needed as a, as a collective group within the group and then sort of presenting it to uh, the people who run the budgets. Yeah, yeah, that's, re- that's really true. And the, the, the thing is, we live in a world of language now. People mm. spend nine hours a day on the internet and so the world is language. Well, that world is language, but there is also a real world and that's in many ways more important. And language is quite imprecise. Mm. As a tool, it's very useful. You can communicate a lot through gesture and through facial expression and through the words you use. There, there is communication that happens between people. I'm not denying that. But language is a, a subtle thing and it's also an imprecise thing. What you mean may not be what I understand. Yes. Trying to get up from one level to another and not having the proper gradient to do it. Yeah. <laughs> that is more important. Yes. <laughs> like, even if you call it fucking a crib ladder. Yeah, right. You know, it, it, it either gets done or it doesn't. I use that term about myself in the past. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I was just thinking of the worst possible yeah, yeah, offensive yeah. thing. You have a massive sign on it, and that's hurtful. Yes. But that... It would still be better if it existed. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, uh, that's, yeah that's really interesting. What else have you been thinking about? Um, well, I suppose sort of on this... I mean, that wasn't to dismiss this yeah, yeah, very yeah. deep and interesting topic. It's just to stop me saying crip ladder again. <laughs> I feel like I'm digging myself a hole today. <laughs> but how will you get down to it without your crip ladder? <laughs> um, I suppose I've kind of been talking about it already, which was this... Um, this TV show that I mentioned uh, off off mic earlier, the um, there's a new show called Afflicted. Is that all right to say? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, why why would it not be? All I right don't to know. Say? <laughs> it's a show. It exists. I it has a name. To doing PR for other people, so <laughs> uh-huh. being more cautious. Um, yes, and um, I'm going to preface this by saying I have deliberately not watched it because I don't want to give them the. Uh, viewing figures um but I, I am aware of some of the people who were subjects of this show and it was pitched to these participants as being a serious documentary um following the lives of eight people with medically diff- difficult autoimmune type diseases um and they were assured that this would be done ethically it wouldn't do them any harm um this has been the opposite of what has happened. It is basically a reality show and it has caused these people individually a great deal of harm already uh, in the form of horrible death threats. And um, so, so when you say it's a reality show, what do you mean? Um, 
I mean, they used a lot of the tactics that you would expect to see on something like The Bachelor or, you know, there's a sort of... Uh, manipulation. Yeah. Putting people in uncomfortable yes. situations. Um, for, for example, they, they interviewed um, scientific specialists at, amongst other places, Stanford, and the medical doctors of various of these participants and then failed to include these consultations, interviews, science in the program and instead had a voiceover from a psychiatrist who had never met any of the patients suggesting that their disorders were emotional rather than biological. Uh, and just sort of slightly more insidious stuff like they asked somebody to have, um, I think it was either a pick line or a central line taken out so they could reinsert it on camera, which is very painful. Yeah. and unnecessary like quite frankly you don't you don't pierce somebody's body <laughs> unless you have to uh and they said that they please do that and also that they would they would pay for it now so do you want to just i, I know this because of having yeah. spent too much time in hospitals but just describe what these procedures involve so i mean i've fortunately never had one myself but i a central line would be placing um a catheter in the jugular i believe and a pick line is another large artery in the chest it's designed to allow patients to have iv medications administered safely at home or long term it's a minor surgical procedure that you ordinarily wouldn't do unless you absolutely had to so they had this man who is who is bedbound um, and housebound undergo this painful procedure for what it would look like on camera and then they didn't pay for it, which in America is um, it's really bloody expensive. And they didn't even show it in the end. They just had him go through this for nothing. Um, and they suggested, I think it was the same patient, they suggested to his mother that they would, they could sedate him to make him be well enough to travel to be interviewed with a physician at Stanford University. Um, which again is you can't just knock somebody out so that they can sustain the journey without giving any consideration to the long-term effect of the of the health of the patient. So I think it contravenes a lot of medical medical best practice as well as sort of journalistic best practice. You aren't supposed to influence the story. You aren't supposed to put people at risk. You're just supposed to observe. And also doctors aren't supposed to diagnose a patient without ever having met one. This was something that really annoyed me all last year when um, people keep describing Donald Trump as... Having you know, narcissistic personality right, disorders. or dementia or this, that and the other. Very serious, quite serious disorders. And they're sort of throwing these terms out there and some of the people doing it are in fact doctors. It's like, well, that is a very strong breach of ethics because you're not supposed to diagnose somebody you've not met and examined. So they included that as well so but what made me think about it again was I actually have been following this story because there is a woman called Jen Bray who made an incredible documentary um two or three years ago called Unrest mm-hmm. um and she's been an amazing patient advocate for people with ME and related uh disorders and so I follow her and she has been sort of pushing back against the horrific upshot of this series um where was it where was it it's on netflix it's on netflix which is very depressing um unrest is also on netflix um and that is a lovely film that is made by somebody who was bedbound, and she made it mostly from her bed um and 
the sort of the dichotomy of having those two things next to each other on the same platform um as examples of the same genre exactly is start is quite startling um but i ended i got into a couple of conversations with people who were really vilifying the people portrayed as being they're basically portrayed as being sponges on society and their families and their partners which is the sort of deepest fear for anybody who is disabled or sick that you are that that is all you are um so i sort of got into a couple of conversations with with two um two rns two nurses who were vilifying these people and i actually managed to change their minds oh that's nice what Um, did you say and what did they say for anyone who's confronted with this particular conversation they started off very very aggressive and very you know i think they'd received quite a fairly sort of strident response um from the internet (laughs) at large although they'd, they'd been looking to pick a fight um but i just told them about my experiences and explained a little bit more about the um, I myself go to Stanford University for treatment um, and part of a clinical study there. Gently explained the science to them because they were nurses, so I thought, you know, there was a good chance they'd respect it. And just kept being really friendly until they said, well, actually, you know, both of them said, ended the conversations with, well, I hope your you know, journey continues well and um, maybe these people have been portrayed as not being who they are. But that's the only time this has ever happened to me. <laughs> the very few times I have... Uh, engage with somebody saying something which upsets or offends me online it's normally just ended in me throwing up my hands and walking away um this is yeah this is the only positive experience of just gently repeatedly (laughs) sort of negotiating them around to being the more reasonable people that they could be well i i know that when my mum was first diagnosed with ms Mm. there were people at that time so it would have been early 80s, who oh, right, believed yeah. that it was a rich woman's disease, that it was a disease that uh, was psychosomatic, if not entirely fraudulent. Yeah. I used to call it hysterical paralysis. Well, this is one yeah. thing of, of... And I've heard this before in broader terms about mental illnesses, mm-hmm. and things like anorexia or uh, depression, where people say, well... You know, there weren't people in third world countries who have depression or anxiety or anorexia. And that is not true. Yeah. Like, you look at medieval texts of uh, stories of people in the darkest depths of peasanthood living in a tiny hut. And there's, throughout history and throughout stories, there's always these stories of someone who just lay down to die. Yes. You know, people, that happens turn their face to the wall they turn their face to the wall and they or they have a you know green disorder a consumptive yeah. disorder yeah. or they these are things that are part of the human experience yeah just because we don't we used to have broader terms for them or just because we don't have a diagnosis for something or a clear diagnosis or it could be i think it's very it's it's a very unpleasant thing to be experiencing someone something like yeah. an autoimmune disorder, which is so, so horrible. Like, it takes your abilities and your idea of yourself and your capacity and your functionality and just bins them yeah. at random. <laughs> yes. Uh, and in no particular order and with no sense behind it. Yeah. <laughs> Seemingly, yeah. Yeah, and you can... If, if you're not talking to a doctor who is listening, that's an awful thing to do to a human being. It is... 
analogous to any other disease. You come in with your hand on fire and someone says it's not on fire. Yeah. Yes, it's gaslighting, it's, um, which is a, t- a term you hear used surprisingly often within this particular community. Well, what was fascinating for me watch, I get, watching Jen's documentary was that I had never, despite being ill for 20 years, I had never really uh, occurred to me that this was a, a feminist issue. Um, as, uh, you know, as, as you, you know, autoimmune diseases predominantly affect women they aren't entirely sure why they think it might be to do with the female sex hormones but they're not sure um regardless across the spectrum of of different types the uh, majority vast majority of patients are women um which is why i'd raised the um the use of the word hysterical See, that's really interesting. I only have anecdotal stuff on yeah. that, which was I remember somebody telling me when I was quite young, probably too young to hear it, that uh, that when women had MS, because it was it was a it was a doctor actually, a family friend, that men who got MS died quickly and women had it for a longer time. I don't know how much that is backed up by the data. I think it might have just been his own experiences his experience. with patients. Um, I, I don't. I don't know enough about it. I'm not sure. Um, yeah, that it, was his his theory, at least. Yeah, and it's impossible to know whether that is to do with hormones or genetics or lifestyle. If if women, when presented with that kind of diagnosis, rested more or took further steps, I'm not sure. Um, yeah, that is interesting. What was staggering about um, about my particular end of the autoimmune snake, um, ME, was that um, it was considered to be a, a fever until the, again, until the 80s. Um, it's a viral trigger, like many, many diseases like this. Um, I myself had glandular fever. Um, but it was considered to be a sort of um, form of polio, um, and it seemed to to rise after after the the prevalence of the polio vaccine. Another virus kind of stepped in to fill to fill that gap. And um, it was there was an American outbreak of a various, I think, ninety patient cohort, and most of them were women. So it was assigned as a psychiatric disease because it was assumed it was conversion disorder, which is the modern polite term for hysteria, which goes all the way back to. Galen and his wandering wombs um, causing us all damage um, and just because of these two guys in Lake Tahoe said oh this is a psychiatric disorder there was no research done for 25 years <laughs> and um, in the meantime medical science advanced hugely in many other areas so which is one of the things I've noticed when you're talking about your treatment with Stanford a lot yeah. of the medications that you're trialing are Medications that have been developed for other diseases. Yes. They're, they're trying to cobble me back together using drugs they use for MS and lupus and rheumatoid arthritis and uh, and dark chocolate. They've prescribed that for me to eat every day. I swear to God my doctor wrote that out on a prescription pad because he said <laughs> nobody would believe me. <laughs> um, so, yeah. But, yeah, I never really realised how much of a sort of... how much of a a feminist issue it was until really really recently and i feel a bit dumb for not noticing but classic woman (laughs) too busy with my sewing notions and what have you (laughs) yeah i mean running a business (laughs) that that, yeah that is a really interesting thing i wonder if women are 
trained to complain less as well as part of this whole kind of be humble, be grateful thing that we expect from our, our, our good women, not our femme fatales, but the good women. Um, there's a lot of studies that show that ER doctors and nurses massively underestimate the pain that women are in um, versus the pain that men are in, which is why women die of heart attacks um, much more often than they should because their pain isn't taken seriously by them or by treating physicians. And I think it kind of... I don't, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I think generally... So what is that? Is it that they... that women will under-complain and at the same time doctors will assume that a woman is over-complaining? Yes, I think it's, I think it's um, double-edged. I mean, I, <laughs> not to bring everything back to me again, but I walked around on a broken leg for six days because I thought that was how much a sprained ankle was supposed to hurt and because I didn't cry, nobody thought to do an x-ray because we perceive women to be you know, weak and emotional, massively generalising again here, but historically... I think that's fair to say. Um, so if I wasn't kicking up a massive fuss, it couldn't have been that bad. Whereas, in fact, I'd, I'd really broken it, like, really, really well. Thor- thoroughly broken. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty scientific data point. Yes, uh, anecdote does equal evidence, right? <laughs> in, in the, well, in an N equals one kind of way, yes, that really does. Um, but I, I, I think that is... I don't think that's my... That's not definitely not unique to me and I think that maybe if women just sort of (laughs) were permitted to say I am great or this sucks more then maybe we'd all have fewer broken legs yeah and I think that's one of those things that needs needs more focus when it comes to structural issues it's very easy to focus on personal sexism because that's what you encounter every day that's the that's the thing that you feel is the fight but the reality is things like most medical studies are done on men because the ethics of experimenting on women is considered uh, are considered to be a higher you have to clear a higher bar you have to make sure that none of your participants are pregnant you worry that the menstrual cycle will throw off your findings good it should it will (laughs) yeah this is the thing so in order to have a clean clean data on a scientific study you can only afford 60 subjects and you want to make sure that you know there's as few variables as possible what that lends itself to is experimenting on young men white men often oh i don't know about that but yeah that's uh that wasn't in the article that i read uh, that this thing is that there is medicine that has been developed over years and years and years and rigorously tested for human use and if it is at all affected by the fact that you're a woman whether it you know is influenced by hormones or whether it's influenced by body size or whether it's influenced by any other element of being a woman that is different from physically being male different i mean generally speaking different proportions of body fat versus muscle yeah we've got whole other organs that they don't have and vice versa yeah which is and you'd think that that would be an element in prescribing but someone will prescribe you off the basis of you know these 60 blank slate subjects yes you know five years of study and lab data and all of this stuff They'll prescribe you two pills to have three meals a day. Yes. But that's... 
I mean, of course, that's all medicine. Everybody, every physical body is different and there is huge variation between physical bodies and medicine will affect everybody differently. But you have a kind of a general idea of how it's going to affect you or you think you do. Mm -hmm. Side effects. (laughs) Uh, Dosage strength. Intensity of impact on your body. Like, all of that stuff is not being measured according to an even standard. It's astonishing that this is only, like, relatively recently occurred to people and it came from like the again it came from the best of intentions after the thalidomide trials um where there were um, many babies born uh missing limbs um and it as i say it came well you know in order to remove that that risk for this group we'll we'll just we won't think about the risk that will occur for all patients if we only test on men so again it came from a very well-meaning lack of nuance yeah um sort of across the entire scientific community which is quite remarkable really yeah um but yes and i think i mean i think i mean i hope the future of medicine is much is it's personal medicine you know much more of our medicine in the next 20 years as i understand it will be genetic based and it it's all much more based on you as an individual. Which I think can only be a good thing. Incredible and violently expensive and that's something else to worry about another day is um, however anybody's going to be able to afford to pay for it. But um, And that should remove many of these things that we've talked about. Yeah, well, I mean, this is... The, the problem with all mass-scale human institutions is that you're talking very broad brush stokes. Mm-hmm. You know, your, your general WHO recommendation of walk half an hour every day. For some people, that's going to be way too much. Yes. For many people, that will be way too little. It's, it, so you kind of have to take these things with a grain of, of, of salt. I, equally, you know... Or with not the, salt. Yeah, or not salt, <laughs> depending on your body and how it reacts to salt. But, you, you know, that, that, that carries across into the law, for example. Yes. The punishments that you face under the law say you punch someone in the face and you get a certain jail term for that. The amount of damage you do to that person is estimated according to very broad strokes. Someone gets punched in the face and they shake it off, they walk away. It's almost as though you didn't commit a crime. Yes. They're not damaged by it. That's fine. Another person might have the eggshell skull. That punch in the face could kill them. Yes. So you kind of have to even it out somewhere in the middle. And, and make rules that you hope can cover contingencies, like that you are, you know, the, you're, you're guilty or you're innocent, and then the damages, kind of the punishment that is inflicted, the judge has to take that into consideration, mm-hmm. and you can have some kind of human, personal element, victim statements, all of this kind of thing can be present there. I think um, something that's I've always wondered about is how, again, how much intent is. Um, or sort of mitigating circumstances is factored into into laws like that. Intent tends not to be. Oh, there's some. Uh, this is the problem. There's some you know, places you where pun- it's important. If you, if you punch somebody because you're being mugged, is it the same crime? If that's, just, no, no, no. Yeah. That's a complete defence. Yeah. Uh, if you well. It, depending on what jurisdiction you're in. Sorry, making you uh, rev your lawyer brain up again. Yeah, yeah, I have to th- think back. Well, it depends what jurisdiction you're in. There's sure. different laws for self-defence. But generally, if you believe your life to be under threat, you could kill somebody. If, you, if it's a circumstance where any reasonable person would think that they were, their life was being threatened, mm-hmm. um, you know, someone's holding a gun on you, you don't know that the gun isn't loaded, you stab that person in the heart... 
that's a complete defence. Yeah. You, yeah. you believed that any reasonable person having a gun pointed at them would believe that they're going to be Life killed. Risk. Yeah. Um, there are other things that are like that where intent is irrelevant. Mm-hmm. But the difference between, for example, manslaughter, manslaughter, manslaughter and murder, um, that's in the mens rea, that's in the intent. Yeah. Um, so... That was just that was just me being curious. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's a very very loose thing. You'd have to look at specific laws and specific crimes as yes. to whether intent is relevant or not. Often it's not relevant. Often, let's say again, very broad strokes. Often it is not relevant except in the sentencing. Yes. So you're either guilty or you're not guilty. And then it's just yes, I see. As long yeah. as it was an intentional act, so you trip over and accidentally stab someone to death, that's not an intentional act. <laughs> well, that's the sort of thing I would do. But, <laughs> so that's a different thing. That's an accident, and whether you're being negligent or not is the yeah, yeah, question. Yeah. But um, in in most things, it's whether you did the act, you're either guilty or innocent of the act. Um, you stole money. Yeah. You meant to steal the money. That's obvious there, but you say, "Well, I didn't really mean to. I only meant to borrow it." Yes. I, you, you can't spec. You can't. That's not a defence. Yes. You can't yes. say what you meant to do. Yeah. Uh, if that makes sense. It does Doesn't make that make sense? Yeah, it makes I don't know sense. if I'm making any sense. I spent a week in the Highlands with my dad, which is why last week's <laughs> podcast didn't happen um, because there was no internet there. So um, uh, I spent oh, I spent a week napping, so I don't know what my excuse is. <laughs> There's no internet in that time. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Would the internet have helped either of us with this conversation? <laughs> Possibly making it more more clear and beautiful. Uh, do you have anything that you want to plug? Um, no, I, you know, I'm I'm I've got no skin in any game at the moment. No skin in any game. Is there um, any particular cause that you would like to draw attention to or send people towards? Well. Um, Oh, God, I've gone blank on that as well. I mean, you should probably just listen to all of Alice's uh, trilogy, which I think is on Amazon Prime now. (laughs) The Resistance is on Amazon Prime. The trilogy is available on all good podcasting apps if you search the Alice Fraser trilogy. Have you listened to it? Um, Not yet. I'm sorry. I've been napping for a week. (laughs) Um, And if you want two great women, other women to follow on Twitter, um, at Beck Hill Comedian and at Beck's Lindsay with an A. Bex Lindsay. Yeah. Uh, they are both brilliant. Um, and uh, Bear Kill is also Australian. She is. So ticking all the boxes. Yes. That's, um, that's all I've got. That's all I've got to promote is other women. Other women. I mean, <laughs> that is a good, that's a good place to start. Thank you so much for having tea uh, with me. Thanks for having me. It's uh, been really fun. <laughs> I, yeah. I have it. Come back anytime. <laughs>